we everyone, are we, are we live here? All right, yeah, good deal. Um, but before I share this announcement, I did want to say a joy this morning. It's nice to see Sandra Upton back with us today. For, it's been a long time. So happy to have you back with us. But uh, for those who don't know me, I'm Jerry Brothers. I'm the uh, chair of the uh, Staff Parish Relations Team here at Good Shepherd. So I uh, just want to read an announcement to you that we have coming this morning. Uh, the Staff Parish Relations Team and I express our heartfelt gratitude to Pastor Jeremy Squires for his leadership and spiritual guidance at our church for the last five years. We especially want to thank Pastor Jeremy for leading and teaching us in so many ways, listening to us, celebrating with us, mourning our losses, and just being present with us in so many ways in our lives. We are confident that God placed Pastor Jeremy and his family in ministry with us for a reason. Every year during this time, our bishop and the Tennessee United Methodist Church conferences make pastoral appointments to every church in our annual conference. So this past week, Bishop Bill McAlilly and the Nashville Area Cabinet of the Tennessee Memphis Conferences worked prayerfully together to make missional appointments to every church in our annual conference. As chairperson of the Staff Parish Relations Team, I give thanks for the ministry of our pastor, Jeremy Squires, who continues to be a servant leader among us. And I'm also happy to share that he will be returning as our pastor for the 2019-2020 conference year. So we're happy. We look forward to the future with boldness and confidence that God will lead us where he wants us to go as a congregation under the leadership of Pastor Jeremy. Remember, there's nowhere we will ever go that God has not already been. So, Pastor Jeremy, I would like for you to please come to the, to the kneeler here. And kneel and congregation, come and lay hands on Pastor Jeremy as we say a simple prayer. You want to come downstairs? Okay. Yes, and there's, I didn't see Susan. I would have called you I out. know. She's that usual spot back in the corner. Okay. Yeah, she was usually over there. So, And congregation, come and lay hands on Pastor Jeremy. If you want to stay in your seat, just raise your hands towards the altar here, and we'll say a simple prayer over him as we go into this next year. And Susan is coming, so. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, our living Savior, we give you thanks for our church. It is a gift of grace to us. We are deeply grateful for the leadership of Pastor Jeremy, who will continue to serve us as pastor, teacher, leader, and friend in Christ. May your grace be upon him and his family, giving peace and joy and confidence as we begin the new conference year together. Open our hearts and minds to receive the gifts that you have for us in these days as we give thanks for what has been and anticipate what will be. Our life is in you, O God, and through the Holy Spirit we pray this day. Amen. Amen. Let me go back to your place. Better luck next year. Thanks, Thanks Jack. Appreciate that. <laughs> Only Jack. got to be honest with you, I, I don't know how, how to feel. I never served. It's actually six, going on seven. I've never served someplace for seven years. When I look at everybody and I look at faces and I go, I, I know you, I know your life and things you've been through over the years and, and new life and changes and everything else, and I go, wow, it's, a, it's amazing to be able to be with people that you know so well. I've never had a chance to be able to finish something I started either. So we're going to finish this. We are going to get through the end of this. And at the end of it, we're still going to owe some money. And hope we're going to make a final plan to pay it all off so that the next year after that, when I am gone, more than likely, that we can say it's done. It's done and it's finished. And the church can now begin the next decade of its ministry unencumbered by the debt that has kept us down for so long. I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of that third year. We're in our second year to do this. The, the loan just dipped below $600,000. 
and together we'll see it through the end of it and be able to do that. One of the last projects we had for the money that we did for the land sale was to be able to finally seal the parking lot. Well, that's what you see outside now. They did a great job. All those little lines you see are actually good because that means every crack was filled before it was sealed. That lot may last us five, six, seven years because of the great work that Jay and Alex striping and, and sealing did. They'll come back and stripe it and do all those things too. But that happened because, you know, I said we did all this great outside work that we did to all the, the landscaping. It's like but the parking lot looks like. And so I was like, let's get this fixed up before Easter. Why not have this whole place looking the best that it possibly can for Easter? And we've, we had it, so we got something on the fax machine that was for a company, and Davis checked it out, and it wasn't the company we wanted to use, but he pulled out a bid from two years ago, called the people up, and they said, we'll honor that bid from two years ago. And they said, well, we'll do it now. Like, we'll get it done this week. At the same time, also, my good friend James over here is going to be fixing the fountain, so the fountain's going to be working for Easter Sunday morning, too. Those are the kind of things we can do together. That's why, you know, but it's mixed. It's mixed because, you know, I don't know how to feel. I've never been in this place. Jack said, better luck next year is what Jack said. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm excited. At the same time, you know, at some point, like we all do, we want change. Part of the sermon today is about change. You know, it's risky, it's fearful. There are lots of changes going on around us. It is a rare opportunity that you have to be able to stay somewhere this long and be able to do ministry. And I'm honored that my DS, Scott Aldridge, and our Bishop Bill McAlilly said, you know what, we want to help you to see this finished. And that's why I'm here. I mean, quite honestly, that in the year of turmoil that's ahead of us of trying to figure out what the denomination looks like, that's the other reason why I'm glad that I'm staying to help us to navigate through that together instead of having somebody brand new try to figure all those things out. But at the same time, I also long for new challenges and for new grass too. And so, you know, that time will come and there will be new things. And, and when we get through this part of this especially, you will need a pastor who is very evangelistic. You will need a pastor who can take you to the next level once the debt and administration pieces are all gone and put into place. You don't need an administrator like me at that point. You need somebody to be at the forefront who has those gifts, which I do not. So that's my prayer is for the next person when the time comes that that's the right moment because this place can explode. It can go off the map when it has that $6,000 more a month that it has freed up to be able to do ministry and be able to be staffed the way it needs to be and to be able to do all the things that God called us to be. And there will be a day, once again, when this sanctuary is filled to the gills with people in this community. Of that I have no doubt, because of the hearts of those who are gathered here. You welcome everybody. You help everybody to feel like they are part of the family when they come in. It is one of our strengths. And it's a big deal. In the days to come, especially, it's going to be a big deal to be able to open our doors and hearts to all those who will come to be a part of our community and our life of faith, no matter who they are. We're not the gatekeepers of grace. I'll keep saying it 5,000 times if I have to. But this place and this moment, this church is special. You may not realize it, but people go other places or when they come back and they talk and they say, you know, Good Shepherd is unique. It is. I also want to pray this morning for all my brothers and sisters who are making announcements across the way which are not reappointment announcements. They are moves. They are moves that are happy in some ways. They are moves that are sad. Um, at this point, at this moment, I won't share it more than that, but Sean Stanfield will be moving. Please pray for him. He's one of our own. I have lots of friends in different ways. This is a hard year for us. There's 24 retirements this year. And there are lots of opportunities for me to say, you know, it's time to go. But I think we need to finish this. And we need to finish it together. So thank you so much for giving me the chance to be able to do that. To be a, to be a part of this experience. And for Susan and I and Hannah to have a family that we have grown to love. And Hannah has now spent most of her life with. You know, 
We came in 2013. Hannah's 15 now. You know? It's crazy, isn't it? Thank you so much for letting us serve. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, to speak into the words we have today that are about change and doing a new thing at the same time remembering the old. Help us to know that the new thing that we do all the time, whether we know it or not, is resurrection. The resurrecting king is resurrecting me. May that be the the word of our heart today as we gather in this place and as we draw closer and closer to Easter. Empower these words. Let them convict and guide and challenge us and enable us to be your kingdom. In Jesus Christ's name we ask and the people of God said together, Amen. How do you typically respond to change? Is it fearful? Excited? Hesitantly? Do you just jump in to change? Are you mournfully? I mean, reappointments like that. I got a call on Thursday from Robin who was making the phone calls. I'm like, no, 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 no. I wouldn't even answer it. I just let go to voicemail. <laughs> I deal with it in a minute. I said, what are you doing calling me on a Thursday after Wednesday when the cabinet's gotten done meeting about appointments? She said, I'm calling you on a Thursday after a Wednesday to tell you you've been reappointed. But for that moment, when, I got the, when you see your DS call you on your phone as a clergy, it's a moment of change. It's a moment of fear. So that's a moment of excitement. If you're ready to go. Or a moment of mourning, like many are doing this morning. Change is hard. Even good change. I've said before that nobody likes change except a wet baby, right? <laughs> wet babies like change. See, she's already, he's already gone. And they like change a lot. But most of us don't like change, even if it's good change. Especially if it's bad change. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers... He says that anyone can master anything given 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. That anyone can master anything given 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. Deliberate practice does not mean, for instance, as Dana could well tell all her students and everybody else, a few hours plunking on the piano will somehow make you an expert concert pianist. Any more than playing around the monkey bars is going to make you an Olympic gymnast. When I watch the Olympics, you know, that's the thing that I always pick up on is when you hear their conversation about how they got to where they were and you're like, wow, they're fantastic. You know what they say every time. Their whole life is spent just getting ready for that moment. Every hour, every waking hour, like this, the skating, when the skaters are you know, talking about it, you know, they're practicing every day, hours upon hours upon hours to be able to get to see what you see, which makes it even more so whenever they fail, that it's just kind of like, I spent my whole life doing this, and now look what happened. One moment I tripped, or one moment I fell. Deliberate practice requires total, whole-bodied, wholehearted focus and devotion. It's the kind of practice for something that you would feel incomplete without doing. Those athletes talk about the fact that I couldn't do anything else. This is what I know. It's who I am. In the ministry, I feel the same way when I think about the opportunities that lie ahead and the differences may be. What else would I do? I've done this my whole life. Just about over 20 years have been spent just doing this and practicing this deliberately, working better and harder to, to be able to get more expert at my craft. 
It's always interesting to see when clergy are first starting out. I'm, and I forget those days. When they make these mistakes and do things, I'm like going, Why did, what were you thinking? Well, we all forget in our own careers and our own places that at one time we all were like that. When we get older, we've had a lot of experiences and things, both good and bad, that have helped to hone us and shape us and challenge us and guide us. And those things will never challenge us again because we've already been through that. But when you're first starting out, you don't have that expertise. You don't have that experience. Right, Graylin? (laughs) On the ground. In 20 years, you'll look at these days and they'll be totally different. Even though it's hard to imagine that I've been doing this for 20 plus years. It's something that finds an echo in your very bones. That thing that you're called to do and to be. And you're willing to spend hour upon hour doing it. Do you know what 10,000 hours of deliberate practice translates into? 10,000 hours is about 10 years worth of persistent practice, of intentional effort, until mastery becomes more like muscle memory. You know muscle memory, your muscles have memory. They know how to do certain things. They learn how to do that. Almost in the place of reflex. A lot of times, even like when you're driving, you can almost be driving like you're not even there, unfortunately. And yet somehow you're like, I didn't know. I took a turn there. I've never even been doing that. Because if you've been doing that for a long time, or whatever it is you've been doing for a long time, you know, playing an instrument, it, it becomes a part of, of who you are, right? then doing that one thing you've worked so long and hard to master feels like coming home. It feels like you've, you've, you've realized and walked in the door of a home, of a place. When you're, when you're able to have the deliberate practice, that deliberate devotion to whatever it is that you're being called to do. For the people of God... That one thing is resurrection. Resurrection holds everything else together that we do. That's why it's so important. Easter isn't just another holiday for us. Easter is the holiday. Easter is the beginning, the end. All of it. It's not Christmas. It's Easter. And everything else revolves around that. The early church built the entire calendar around Easter, not Christmas. That was hundreds of years later. Because the death and the resurrection were the most important thing in every one of the early Christians' minds. They were the life-giving thing. It's the movement from death to new life. We practice resurrection as a church And as individuals all the time, or at least we should, every time we gather in a space of confession, we practice resurrection, unburdening our lives and our hearts from the weight of sin that we've carried for too far and for too long. When we let that go, it's a resurrection. It's a new beginning. It's freedom from the things that chain us and bind us and keep us in the grave and in the tomb. The death. Every time we come to the table, we practice the movement of death towards new life. We come starving and hungering for nourishing grace and bread that sustains our bodies and souls and we leave that table full of community and hope and memory. Every time we do it, it's muscle memory the same way. It's real easy to get caught up in it. One of the practices that I brought here and Debbie reminded me of that becomes second nature to me is is that we don't take the bread here. We receive it. Not everybody does that. Somebody taught it to me the same way and opened my eyes and I opened your eyes to it years ago. We don't take the body of Christ. We receive it. It's not ours to take. It's His to give. 
and it's ours to receive. That's resurrection. Every time we lift prayers for one among us who is suffering, we mentioned seeing Sandra, and Sandra's been on our prayer list for a long time and been in and out, and every time it's like a resurrection. It's a new life. It's a new opportunity to come and see. When we pray for somebody and, and they make it through and, and we look at it and go, oh my gosh, that's awesome, or if they find the ultimate healing, then it's still resurrection. Whether you're healed in this life or in the life to come, you still are resurrected into a new beginning, into a new way of being. We trust that our prayers rise to God who hears our every need and we step out of the grave into a new reality that our prayers are being heard, that God is listening to us, and that others are wrapping their prayers around us. Every time a child of God comes to the waters of baptism, or we remember our baptism every year, that muscle memory, we recommit ourselves to be drenched in the same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation and gave new life. And we walk into that newness of life from the beginning of time. It is deliberate. It is a practice that we do until something as counterintuitive as resurrection finally gets into our minds and our brains. That we can have new life. That we can start again. That there is newness. We look at the trees in the winter and we go, oh my gosh, they, they're dead. They're not dead. They're saving up for the next season. Inside, they were actively at work, resurrecting themselves to bring back out new life so that in the spring you can walk outside and you'll see the new life that's everywhere. And we get excited about that and see the flowers and everything else. It's resurrection, folks. It becomes the most natural thing in the world to us. It's our truest home. A resurrected life. We're now 30 days into Lent and preparing as we still practice resurrection. It's still our one thing. It's still our main thing. It's still our home, even in Lent. We even consider each Sunday to be little Easter's during Lent. You can't take away the resurrection even during Lent. We try to balance it more and more. We still pray and confess and come to Christ's table. We still affirm the words, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Those are the words of our hearts. If we have really immersed ourselves in this Lenten season, then we're going to find our hearts transformed on Easter morning. That's how it works. The deeper we get into this time of the year, the more that when Easter comes, the more vibrant it is. The more alive we become. Because we truly understand what it means to be dead and in the grave and in the tomb and what it really means to be alive and resurrected and new. It still takes deliberate practice, though. We are starting that final push towards the empty tomb, but there's still some practicing we have to do before we get that stone rolled away. Until we really understand completely resurrection. The scripture for this week is a reading from Isaiah 43. And the themes of which are almost identical to that of Paul's writing, 2 Corinthians, we talked about last week. And this passage comes to us from a section of the text most commonly called 2nd Isaiah. Isaiah chapters 40 to 55. 1st, 2nd, 3rd. And as you look at your notes in your, in your Bible app and everything else, what makes this section of Isaiah differently from the others is the experience of exile that's found here in this section. These 15 chapters are written as a reminder that God is still Practicing resurrection. Even in the midst of exile. Even when, especially when life is at its darkest and it seems like hope is at its last, God is still practicing resurrection. Amen? 
than our darkest moments. God is still there. That's what Isaiah is talking about. Verse 16, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. What's he referring to? The Israelites escaping across the what? The Red Sea. How could they have forgotten that so soon? When they escaped out of Egypt, what happened to them? They were able to go across because Moses, under God's guidance, parted the waters in front of them and they went across. And then behind them came the Egyptians in pursuit. And as soon as the Egyptians went into the dry land, the waters came in upon them. The Lord makes a way in the sea. Resurrection out of death. And these words from the prophet were a reminder that when the people of Israel were tempted to go back to slavery because the wilderness was too challenging and it was endless, that God made a way from that death into a new promise and would do it again and again and again. It seems strange the prophet writes, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old when traditionally every time the Israelites forgot their history, dreadful things would happen to them. Without being rooted in memory, the people of God were easily led astray. They would fall away. They would neglect all the things that made them God's people in the first place when they forgot. So why would he even say this here to forget the past? Well, the prophet here is talking about past trauma and haunts and hurts and habits and hang-ups that tended to keep the people of God bound in grave clothes rather than memory. See, memory is okay. The past is okay when we don't live in it, when we use it to guide us and to be able to remember those good things, even sometimes the bad things, to learn from it. And we always hear that history is doomed to repeat itself if we don't learn the lessons from the past. But the past is not something to hold up as being who we are and who we should always be. The past is a guide to help us to move into the future by living in the present. Your past hang-ups and hurts and habits and all the things don't define who you are. You see... But you can live from them. You can learn from them. And that memory propels then instead all of them forward towards a future with hope. That all those things in the past, all those times in the grave, in the tomb, are not who we are. We don't have to stay there. That we can be freed and be able to move forward. I mean, every one of us has experienced those dark times that are hard to get over. Grief. Shame, despair, death, disappointment, anger, depression, and addiction are all things that can keep us from practicing resurrection. They keep us in our grave clothes. They keep us in the tomb with the stone closed tight with no light coming in and we just feel lost and alone and trapped. There's no way out. The wilderness is the same way even though it's not dark. It's just endless. And you seem like you wander around trying to figure out where to go and what direction God is calling you to go in. What holds you in your wilderness? What keeps you from finding the promised land? from finding the hope that has been given to you. These shadows can even make us forget that resurrection is possible and that it's natural for the people who claim them of Christian. The resurrection is everything. That new life and new starts can happen anytime, in any place, to anyone. Amen? 
Anybody can have a new start. It doesn't have to be grandiose. It could be something small. But there's always new. A new. It's in times like this that we need that muscle memory of walking from death into new life. It's crucial that we just keep walking. Even we have no idea where we're going. You don't stay in the valley of the shadow of death. You keep moving. You keep going through it. You don't sit there. You keep going forward. Even if you're not sure where the direction is. There's so much that can hold our hearts in death. But there's only one thing that can compel those same hearts to open up to new life. We heard it in the text I read last week, which is repeated again today in this scripture. 43.19 says, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Rivers in the desert. A way in the wilderness. God is doing a new thing by making a way in the sea. That was the first part. For the ancient Israelites, the sea, the water, was a symbol of chaos. They didn't like the water. They fished on top. Nobody went down very far. Leviathans and other sea monsters lived beneath the water. They didn't have any idea what would lie down below there, and they didn't want to find out. It was chaos. But God made a way in the sea. And then a path in the wilderness. Rivers in the desert, which was unheard of. We have to perceive the new thing that's always springing forth, he says. It's always springing forth. Spring isn't the only time that things bloom. When those trees get done with those flowers, they put out leaves. Those are blooms the same way. They are blooms for the next season to prepare that tree to move into then the fall when all the pretty colors come because then the leaves are done doing their job. And then the winter begins all over again. There are blooms every season. And there are blooms in life all around us. And before we can fully embrace that one thing, he says we must let go of everything that is holding us back. Everything that is holding us back from being in this moment of resurrection. He says, the wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, and to give drink to my chosen people. That's a really weird text. What did jackals and ostriches have anything to do with what's going on? Well, in Isaiah, God promises the new thing that is springing up will make gardens out of deserted places. That's easy enough. And that even the weirdest looking animals, jackals and ostriches from this example, are pretty strange, especially the ostriches. They will honor God by practicing resurrection. He's making a point to the people gathered around. I would say the platypus would be a great example of that. What an animal is the platypus? Wow. Rivers will not run through deserts without fundamentally changing them. This is God's love cannot flow through our hearts without transforming us. A river through a desert changes it. God's love flowing through our hearts also changes it. It cannot help if God's love flows through us. And the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. We're reminded of the prophet's words that God made us for this exact purpose. To praise. To be resurrected. To live new. That is why we were created. In today's words to the Philippians from Paul, he says we cannot praise the risen Christ let alone rise ourselves if we're still mired in the former old things of our lives. We have to make a new thing. Amen? You can't sit in your old life and expect somehow for it to change, for things to be different. And Paul begins to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. I mean, what practices help you to form muscle memory? 
in learning to live in the power of Christ's resurrection. Well, there are things like reading Scripture as devotion individually to, to be able to really look at that through a version Bible or through some kind of devotional that really focuses you and continue to keep doing that every day. Or to, to read Scripture in a small group and your biblically focused small group. One of the three parts of that is reading Scripture together, not just to learn what the Scripture means, but for transformation. To really hear that Scripture to your heart, not just to your head. Or private prayer. But not only just private prayer, but corporate prayer. Praying together as a group is also important. One of the things that biblically focused small group. Or whenever we gather together, there should be elements of prayer. Or being in worship together. You know, we can all have our own little cubicle and we can all just do worship in our own way and have like little things drawn out to the side. We're joking about it in praise team this morning about having this whole thing just kind of pulled together like a voting booth where you just kind of sit there and do your own thing, push a few buttons and never talk to anybody and never have to be in community. That's not worship. Even online, when we gather together, then we're, we're gathering together in community. I can't see the person up there who's watching us. But I trust that we're doing it together in some way. Visiting the poor, advocating for justice, gathering together and serving and going ministries. And he says, if somehow I may obtain the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead. Have you ever experienced God working newness, the power of resurrection in your life? Where is God still calling you to newness now? But something needs to change. We need to leave the old behind and take on the new. John Wesley picks up on the Apostle Paul's goal here that being justified before God is not just a status achieved by our faith on the inside, but that part of the new covenant or justification be made right by faith in Christ was also to be expressed outwardly in terms of obedience and holiness. That's what John Wesley expresses in his sermon, The Circumcision of the Heart. He says this, In general, we may say the circumcision of the heart is the habitual inclination of soul toward what Scripture terms holiness. He made like God. To be more specific, the circumcision of heart implies humility, faith, hope, and love. Love the created thing only as it leads to the Creator. And he says this, Let every step you take move you towards this goal. Let every inclination, thought, word, and deed become subordinate to your love for God. The love of God is the first and foremost thing in our lives. And he says, circumcision of the heart means that in every motion of our heart, in every word of our tongue, in every work of our hands, we pursue nothing except as it relates to God and his subordination to him, working in the service of his desires Circumcision of the heart means that we do not think, speak, or act to satisfy our own wills, but the will of him that sent us. That's what it means. And Paul famously says it like this in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So as we turn our faces towards Jerusalem this week and the cross that awaits in the story of betrayal and crucifixion and death that leaves us in stunned silence, we must remember to practice resurrection. We have to practice it. It isn't just going to happen. We need that muscle memory 
The world knows too well this sad story. The world knows too often the pain of death, of innocence accused, or injustice inflicted upon the last and the least and the lost. The church is the only place that the witness of resurrection happens, that new can happen, that change can really happen, that authentically testifies that deaths are not an ending. The death of something or someone is not an ending. The church knows that. That they are opening up for a rising up into a new life with more promise and joy than we dare to dream of long as we keep practicing resurrection. There is nothing that can keep you in the grave except what you allow to keep you in the grave. Amen? The only reason you stay there is because you want to stay there or feel like you have to stay there or just feel like you can't get out. Resurrection is waiting for anything that's happening in your life or in our world or in our community if we're willing to take it on and practice it and we dare to dream. We have to make a new thing in our hearts if we're going to return to God with all our hearts. Resurrection. Practice it. Know it. Believe it. Dream it. Amen. Jesus declared resurrection to the disciples when he gathered with them in the upper room. It was his last supper with them on earth, that's true. But it wasn't the last time he'd be with them. He broke the bread and told them about his plan, his dream, his desire, what the Father had willed for him to bring us new life. It wasn't just the fact that I will die for you and sacrifice, we, we shortchanged the whole thing if that's where we leave it. Because we didn't just land on Good Friday. We also were there on Easter. That this death was going to bring a whole new life. That's the weird part about the whole thing. Well, they couldn't understand why he would go and be killed. But he knew that in order to be resurrected, there had to be a death. They had to move away from the old things of the past. As much as he loved being with them, he had to move away from them and be able to complete what he had been called to do. And so this was only the first step of being able to do that. And a lot of times, leaving our past behind will cause us to lose everything. Or at least it'll feel like that. Like everything has to change about us in order to be able to have new life. Well, it does. It does. We're not called to be the same people we were called before we knew Christ in our life. And every day after that, we're not called to be the same people. We're constantly moving forward. It may be slow sometimes. It may be backwards sometimes. But you can't just stop. See, so many of us just stop. Like, well, I just, you know, I failed again doing that, or, you know, I can't ever get my Bible read or pray enough or everything else. And so we just quit. We just stop trying to do anything because we can't do it to the level which we want to do it. But instead, I just tell people to get back up. But there's one thing I've learned over all the years of ministry is, especially being in this church over the last six years, is perseverance wins the day. You get back up and you go back into it and you take it back on again. Just get back up. We don't have any money. I don't, get back up. Do it again. We shouldn't collect money for that. Doesn't matter. Do it anyways. When we first began Feed the Need, no money to do it. We're going to get $2,000 to do this. I don't know. Do it anyways. We have constantly been that way, going out on faith, of just saying we're just going to go forward. If we're going to go down, we're going to go down fighting. In life, it's the same way. If you're going to go down, go down in flames. Don't go down as a 
unburnt ember that just sits there. Keep going forward no matter what happens in life, no matter what tries to stop you. Jesus taught us that. Keep going forward and you'll find resurrection and new life. So as we gather this morning and receive, I just want you to think about what it is that's, that's keeping you in the wilderness, in the grave, in the tomb. What has to be present there for you to be able to break out of that? To walk into a new way, a new place. To live into a new reality, to put on new clothes, to see the light of the tomb door opening and be able to feel the presence of God reaching out to you. May God speak to you this morning as we come forward to receive this great remembrance of sacrifice given in our names. Let those coming forward to serve as we pray over these elements. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice be for us the reminders and remembrance of the great love of resurrection for our sakes and of sacrifice, of new life and new starts. May we receive them today to know your presence faithfully and fully. In Jesus Christ's name and the power of the Holy Spirit, the people of God said together, Amen. Remember, feel the resurrection.
Christ is our cornerstone. God's making a new thing. Can you not perceive it? Can you not see it? Resurrection is there for all of us. Each moment, whatever you're going through, don't stay in your grave clothes. Don't live in the past. Look to the future of the light of being freed from the tomb of whatever it is that binds you. Resurrection will be practice. Resurrection is who we are. Amen. Go forward and be new in Christ. Amen. You're dismissed. Give out some amens.